We're live, okay. Uh, we are back in Hebrews chapter 12, looking at the rest of the opening verses of chapter 12. Uh, we're going to be talking about us being sons of God. Uh, we've been challenged to keep our eye on Christ. We, we've been challenged with chapter 11 to follow the examples of those who have lived by faith before. Jesus is brought up in these verses as one who now has also lived a life of faith. He's not just God, you know, from a distance looking, but he has come down and pioneered the way. The word is used for pioneer, but we also even see that in the Old Testament of him leading the people out of Exodus or out of Egypt. Uh, he appeared to Abraham. The God of glory appeared to Abraham. Moses considered the suffering for the sake of Christ of greater value than Egypt. So even in the very beginning, as we go through the Old Testament, Jesus was making appearances and was going before leading the people. And so now he has actually become a man uh, for these people in 63 AD uh, in their generation and has lived a life before them. And uh, he even, as the book has pointed out, he learned through what he suffered. By coming, becoming a man, he learned how to overcome things. I mean, obviously he's God, he's perfect, but by becoming a man, he had to apply these things and come out on the other side. He's gone before us, and we're now called to do the same thing. I'll read these verses just up through verse 11 or 12 uh, as we begin this. Uh, chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Again, that's referring to the great witnesses that are before, most likely in the chapter before. We're surrounded by all these examples of crowd. Uh, uh, it's like a group of people. It's used even in ancient literature. A cloud would refer, refer to a mass of people. So we're surrounded by this from the beginning of time all the way up to their very day people that have surrounded them, giving an example of how to live by faith. Now let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, the, the things that would hinder, the weights that are weighing us down. Uh, we're going to see a verse where it talks about, well, in verse 2, let us fix our eyes uh, in the NIV. That word is going to mean, that phrase means to turn it. You're looking at something, but you're going to turn away. It's not just fixing your eyes on a goal. It's you're looking away from one thing, to another goal so it's, it's actually not just fixing your eyes you're looking this way but you're moving almost like in line with the ideal of repentance it's like you're changing your view and focusing and so that would that would fall under the ex help explain the word everything that hinders and there's a variety of things happening in life and even for me as i read through these chapters there's some things that are happening in our culture now that we've seen coming and there seem to be getting closer that that concern me uh, on a personal level obviously on a national level as a family level but even on a personal level you, if i find myself you know worrying you know thinking what are we going to do uh, how about this uh and the idea here is that these are things that will will hinder you got to be responsible and take care of things uh, that you're, you're you know, in charge of or you're responsible for. But this idea of looking away from the things that are distracting you and you're like, oh, no, what about this? It's like, well, no, turn away and fix your eyes on the, the, the goal, uh, on Jesus, the pioneer who's gone before. Jesus obviously has come into the world. I mean, he just didn't come into the world during a, a crucial time in history. He didn't come into uh, problems and situations. He came into the world to deal with all of sin. So it's like he wasn't just living during the Roman time. He wasn't just living during the decline of, of the Jewish uh, uh, nation. Uh, he was living at a time where sin had come into the world, and he was dealing with that issue of all of history. So he came, at a, even there, he came in at a crucial time. Uh, and he 
kept his eyes on the goal and, and kept moving. So let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, this is where we left off last week, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. We'll come back and look at that. Scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. When it says scorning its shame, did not consider the mockery. It's like, okay, this is going to be embarrassing. This is going to be shameful. This is going to be, it's like, no, that has no impact. I'm looking at something bigger. This is it just, it doesn't even show up on his radar. It just wasn't like, you know, uh, uh, scorning it or making fun of it as much as it was trying to intimidate him. It's like, you don't want to go here. It's like, uh, it's, it's not even as big as a mosquito. It's like, no, what, what I am doing is so much bigger than the shame you think this cross is going to cause me. And he walked right through it. Which again, uh, the, all these verses are important to me at this time, uh, at, at least in my life, because there's certain things that it's like, I don't, I, what about this? What about that? It's like, look at the big picture get a perspective, and then come back and look at this issue. It's like, oh, you scorn the shame. It's like, well, this is a big deal. This is a big deal. If it's the media, or if it's a society, or if it's your own you know, nature, or sin nature, or desires, this is a big, this is important. It's like, look at what you're going for. Look at the target. Fix your eyes, not on this, but fix your eyes on this. And then you can look back. It's like, oh, and you scorn the shame. This is not an issue. And so Jesus, the same thing, is like, oh, he's going to have to go to the cross. Now, again, for us reading the story, it's like going to the cross is, uh, it's, it's unbelievable. But for Jesus, it appears, he scorned. It's like, he even told his disciples, you know, several times, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. He wasn't like, you know, pray for me. I, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to need help. Now, he did, you know, say pray with me in the Garden of Gethsemane. But he, he made the announcements, and he just marched right into it. And no, there was no one supporting him. His disciples didn't even understand it, and he marches right into it. What was going on? Well, he, he scorned the shame. He understood this is, to us, it's a big deal. To him, as a man, it was a big deal. But he understood, because he had his eyes on something bigger, that this was not a big deal. And same thing, the things that terrorize me or, or cause me to fear uh, that I'm worried about, if I will keep my eye on Jesus, if I'll keep my eye on what God is doing, I will also be able to scorn the shame, the embarrassment, the loss. Now, again, I don't say that confidently. I don't say that that's where I'm at. I'm saying that's what I'm reading here. I, 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 you know, you wake up at night, you, you can't go back to sleep because you start thinking about things. It's like this right here. Scorn the shame. Get your eyes on this and realize this is not going to matter. And I, that's the ideal of what that's referring to. So let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You've got to keep your eye on that. Consider what he did. Consider how he did it, so you will not grow weary or you will not lose heart. You will not wear down, get tired, or lose heart. It can be physical, it can be mental. It can be becoming physically exhausted or mentally exhausted, or it can be just becoming discouraged. It, it's the, both sides right there. Grow weary and lose heart. It's like you can't even, and you've all been there at some point where you just like, you know, most mornings are like this, I suppose. When you're laying in bed, it's like, oh, you gotta get up. It's like, you gotta like, encourage yourself get out of bed and, and get going now some days i'm excited to get out of bed some days it's like especially monday especially tomorrow morning monday morning it's like ah oh, and it's like you know right there don't don't lose heart be encouraged and and keep this going and this is saying right here if you have your eye on the goal of what we're doing here of where god is taking you 
uh, you won't lose heart. And again, we've all been there. Then verse 4, in your struggle against sin, and again, this sin is going to be you know, personal sin, but it's also going to be the sin of the world. It's the, it's the cosmos. It's the climate we live in. It's the air we breathe. We live in sin. Uh, and maybe it's your personal sin. Maybe it's just the world. In your struggle against sin, you're resisting sin. And sin would not just be a moral action. It would also be becoming discouraged. In your struggle against sin or in your struggle not to grow weary and lose heart. You know, growing weary and losing heart would be, in a sense, sin. So, I mean, we can think of moral things, things that you've done wrong, said wrong, or you could say or do wrong. This right here would include growing weary and losing heart. Say, I, I just give up. I can't do it. No, no, no. You're struggling against that. That's, that's sin. Sin would lead you away from the hope of Christ. <clears throat> In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. We'll talk about that phrase right there. It sounds like martyrdom. It could include martyrdom, but it's actually a, a, a battle wound which could be martyrdom, but it's, it's bigger than martyrdom. And you have forgotten that word of encouragement. This is where we're heading today, verse 5. And you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. And this is huge. This is almost unteachable in the modern Western church, especially in the modern Western society, to teach this. It's like this is beyond... This is beyond our scope of understanding. We have become so dull, so dense. We've morphed Jesus, God, the image, into what we want, that to hear this, you can't even, you can't even explain this. I mean, most of the times you're going if to, if anybody would ever teach this, you're going to have to just dumb it down, twist the words, and make it mean something than what it means. But this is talking about us being sons, Again, don't get, I mean, if it's going to offend you, I can say daughters too, but sons is the term in the Greek. It, you know, mankind, all mankind, we're all mankind. Actually, it put sons and daughters in there is actually, uh, I think, a more of an insult. If you, here, I'll just go political on you. More of an insult to women than it is sons and daughters. It's like, no, when it says sons, it means all of us. We're all equal. Well, yeah, but I'm a daughter. Shut up. No, you're not. You're a son of God. It doesn't say daughters of God. You're a son of God. What, you can, sons have rights and daughters have rights. It's like, no, no, no. You're all sons of God. Independent of your... You want, here, you talk about gender and sexuality. You know where that falls apart, where that declines, where that becomes insignificant, where that no longer, you're no longer male or female? It's in Christ. You see, in this age, you're born male or female. Your gender matches, there you are. But in Christ, huh? You're all sons. Now, if you want, you want gender neutrality, you're in Christ. So shut up. You're all sons of God. You want gender neutral? Boom, you're a Christian. You're gender neutral. So when I say sons, I'm talking about women, men, children, sons of God that are believers. Does that make sense? It's like, so it's like, well, what about the women? They're, they're here. What, what's wrong with you? Read the Bible. And so that whole taking pronouns and trying to go through the Bible and change where it says men, and it changes it to people. It says men. You are men. You are of a human species, a human race. And races, well, are we talking about white men, black men, what color men? We're talking about men. We're not even talking about race. There's no race. There's no slave. There's no free. There's no male or female. We're all one in Christ. There is sons 
of God. White, black, brown, pick a color. Gender, male or female, you're all sons of God. So we're done with that discussion. I mean, we're over. It's like, well, you're not considering. No, I'm not considering because that's of this age. We're in a different age now. We're talking about being in Christ, nonetheless. That was not in my notes. Sons, that looks like songs or something. Let me write it again. Sons, we're all sons. You are all a son of God, and God is the Father. And the Father, first thing to understand in this, as we're going through this, we're not even into the text yet, the Father is perfect, Uh, especially in this scenario, this is God. He is perfect. He is uh, the God of light. He is the creator. He has the plan. The Son is perfect imperfect this perfect the son is uh has a sin nature meaning the son is born in sin the son will sin the son has been saved but they still have a sin nature until they lay their body down and they enter into glory so they have to be uh they have to mature they are immature they are lacking I should say immature here. They are lacking. That's the ideal of a son. <clears throat> and that's the same way in, in a family. Again, in the natural family, it's going to compare God, the father, to a natural father. But a natural father would not be perfect. We'd have to say, in quotes, perfect. He's older. He's <clears throat> got the plan. But we know because in our human nature, the father also as a man is imperfect, has a sin nature, is immature in certain areas, lacking. <clears throat> and the father, I'm a father, I'm a grandfather. But all these things apply to me. So the idea here is the father has the goal and he's leading the son. He's here for the benefit of the son. The father is here for the benefit of the son. A son without a father is in trouble. That, that's, that's reality. A, a son without a father is lacking this person. So they're, they're going to have to, how are they going to overcome these things? The father's goal is to change the son to a man, to help him overcome the sin nature so he makes good choices, to make him not immature but transform him into being mature. And what the son is lacking, the father's going to provide. He's going to teach. He's going to demonstrate. He's going to lead him. And I have done that as a father for six sons. Now, again, perfect being in quotes, even when we sit out on the deck, the boys all come home. They still make fun of their father uh, because they know that everything I did was not perfect. But I understand the concept. I understand I did my best, but I was leading them. I certainly knew more about life than they did when they were 5, 10, 15. But now that they, they're, they're past 20, now they're, what, 28 to 40. It's like, seriously, I'm done teaching because they've seen things, done things. They've got education. They've got experiences. Uh, they're actually, well, you know, you've seen, as, even as your parents age, the roles reverse. We're not quite in a total reversal, but I'm, like I even talked about last week, I'm at the point where I just will shut my mouth now. I'll teach the word and step back because they're living their life. So, I mean, I, I've seen this happen. Not that I've done it perfect, but I've seen this transpire, and I, I had a role in their lives. Now, this is talking about the father having to help the son and here it goes right down here here's the verses we'll look at here today uh verse five in all of your struggle against sin 
of all the things where you're supposed to look away from this and look at Christ, it says, and you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, right out of Proverbs, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. That's the NIV translation. Do not make light. Do not think unduly of the Lord's discipline. Do not overlook the fact that life is the Lord's discipline. God knows where you're at. He put you here in time. Tony sent out a great message to the 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 weemers page that we got a little page that we send messages just about god knows where your child is born at in history it's like well what about our children what about our grandchildren well everybody all those heroes of faith were born at a point in history if it be abel if it be noah uh if it be moses i mean uh, uh, if it be during the days of the judges if it be jeremiah daniel was born and taken into captivity He's like oh if he just could have been born a generation earlier or a generation later no daniel was fine daniel was one of the heroes of faith and he was in nebuchadnezzar's palace he was in a foreign land he was born in jerusalem and taken as a captive and 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 the eschatology revolves around daniel's writings so you think about well i just wish i, I, I my children could have been born in the 60s or if they could just be born, it's like, well, no, I mean, every generation has a problem, but also there are some of the greatest heroes in the Bible are examples of people that lived in, in a time of crisis. So again, I don't like the idea of crisis maybe coming to our nation and we've got children and grandchildren being born into it, but God knows where they're at. God knows where they were born. There's so many things, and we'll, we'll talk about it again, there's so many things you're not choosing. There's so many things you have not chosen that it even says, let us run the race marked out for us. Right there in verse two. Let us run with perseverance the race marked, or verse one, the race marked out for us. You, you didn't, here's the race. You show up at the starting line. Here's the race. Someone's already laid out the course. This is the race you're going to run. Now, in high school track or college track, you can run distance, you can run sprints, you can choose your race. But especially at a cross-country course, uh, you don't have just an oval track. You, have, you show up, get off the bus, and it's like they give you a map. And sometimes it's the same from year to year, but it's like there's the map. They've laid the course out. You're running cross-country. You're running the 5K or the whatever you're running. Uh, and this is the course marked. Uh, that's not the course I want to run. You know, I, I see the course. The course looks at you start here. You run up here into the weeds, up here and through the hills. There's a lot of hills in this territory. Come around right here, and you finish right there yeah i don't really this is going to be buggy a bunch of bugs out. i'm going to do that part and this is where all the hills are i'm going to get really tired there i tell you what and here's the concession stand so when they start here they're going to take off they're going to get stuck in the bugs i'm just going to walk over here get myself a beverage and walk to the finish line and still get first now, oh, whoa, 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 wait, wait, that's cheating. That's ridiculous that you didn't even run the race. But yet some people approach life that way. Here's the starting line. Watch this. You are a man. You are born in this country. You're born in this economics. You have this athletic ability. You have this financial backing. You have this intellectual ability. Well, yeah, I'm going to be a woman. I'm not going to, uh, I'm going to, protest and and blame the my economic situation for all my downfalls and all i'm not going to get educated i'm just going to you know and, and it's, it's i'm just going to go to the concession stand and finish the race it's like what 
you you can't change now you can change those things but you really haven't changed you just made up excuses you have a race that has been marked out for you and we're running this race right here and that's that's at a cross-country course and that's in life it's like think about it the race i'm running i was born at this time in history i was born with this kind of a body with this gender with this dna with this intellectual ability which i wish was a little bit brighter uh with this athletic ability which i've always wished was a little bit i was hoping to play like some professional sports of course which barely made into college but it's like and it's like this is my package it's like well that's not fair who who, okay who says this is so you're just going to run around say it's not fair that i'm well you've got to run the race marked out for you set your eye on jesus look at jesus he was born he's eternally god and he was born in israel not at the height of the kingdom he was born 30 years 40 years before the romans overthrew it he was born under roman oppression he was born where the priesthood was corrupt he was born at a time where society was they're looking for a messiah they're looking for a revolt he they didn't even understand what he was saying he came to die on the cross for the sins of the world and they're thinking right we understand what you're saying we're going to we're going to we're going to overthrow the romans no i'm going to go to jerusalem and be betrayed and crucified i think what he's saying is he's going to go there and we're going to destroy rome it's like what it's like it was unfair for jesus if he could have came at a better time if he could have came his mission could have been easier he didn't get to choose he had a race marked out for him from eternity past and he had to run the race and same thing is here with us my son do not make light of the lord's discipline you're running this course and now your father is going to now help you run this course now you're not ready you're imperfect you got a sin nature you're immature you're lacking and if you're actually talking about racing you're way out of shape but the father we're not talking about your dad we're talking about god the father who is perfect who's laid out the race who's called you who's given you his spirit he's now looking at you like a son it's like if you're going to be able to perform in this race if you're going to be able to enjoy my nature my presence if you're going to be able to enjoy the fullness of my eternity then i'm going to have to make some changes so that there's that that's radical right there christianity is about changing i mean we we know this and it almost becomes redundant to say it but people want christianity to be accepting christianity is about accepting people the way they are it's like right there almost swore right there because heck no you see what i didn't say heck no it's not about accepting you the way you are it's about identifying that you are imperfect you have a sin nature you're immature you're lacking you don't have understanding and god the father loves you jesus died on the cross to separate you from this but now that you've come to faith in christ you now have to change we're going to change everything we've already changed your life you were dead spiritually now you're alive because you came to christ so you already went from dead to life well, I just want to stay like this. I just want to go to heaven. You're not even ready for heaven. You, you need to go through this race. And God is going to discipline you to make you grow, to help you mature so that you can appreciate who he created. Because you are not. None of us are living at the potential that God created for us because we've all fallen into the sin nature. So out of his love, he's not going to say, I mean, just think of, you've got an infant baby. It's like, and, and if you've ever had a child, I mean, if you've ever had a husband, 
there's, there's certain things they don't want to do. It's like the child doesn't want to eat. The child doesn't want to go to bed. The husband doesn't want to mow the yard on Sunday afternoon. The, uh, for example, <laughs> there's certain things, and it's like you're going to have to change. You're going to have to eat. You're going to have to. You can't wear a diaper your entire life, baby. You're going to have to learn how to use a toilet. I don't want to. It's like, no, someone's going to have to, you're going to use a toilet. You're going to have to learn how to everything. And that is where we are. And the father who loves the son is going to help you grow up. And so, with that being said, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Once you are met with Christ, Christ is now going to start to change you. Anyone who comes to Christ, you have to change. It is ridiculous to say, Christ accepts me the way I am. Okay, he accepted you into the family and gave you new life the way you were with full intention, full disclosure, we're going to change you. I mean, it's, I've even talked, when I used to talk, to pastors, it's like the message, you, when you present Christ, you almost need to put a disclaimer on it. It's like you make it sound like if you come to Christ, uh, all your problems will go away. Your, your family will come back. You'll be welcomed into the community. God will take care of your finances. God needs all of your needs according to his glorious, and ri- glorious riches in heaven. Yeah, right, and his, it, all, the, all the things that you need are right here. He needs to change out of his glories in heaven. He's going to change you. So when you come to Christ, the first thing you're doing is laying down your old life, picking up a new life, and it's not just instantaneous. You're born again instantaneously. But the maturing process, the second phase of salvation, is a lifetime process. You're never going to get to the place to say, well, me and the Father are now equal. Now, Jesus could say that, but we'll never get to the place that we're equal. Even as an old man, say you're 95 years old, you're still in this category. You may have matured, you may have picked up some things you're lacking, you may have overcome some sin nature, but you still have things that you're still learning. And even the process of death is the final test. The final learning experience is taking you into a better understanding of, 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 God, of God the Father. So this whole thing, you're never going to get out of this. So my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. What? God's going to rebuke you? No, no, no. That's, that's uncalled for. We don't rebuke people. You, you welcome people. No, one, you're a son and God's going to now discipline you and then he's going to rebuke you. Well, of course he's going to rebuke you. Look where all your ideas are coming from. You're imperfect, you have a sin nature, you're immature and you're lacking. Hey, I got an idea. That's stupid. We're not going to do that. What? What? It's like, look, well, just learn from me. So yeah, you're going to get rebuked. I've been rebuked. Because the, Lord's dis- because the Lord disciplines those he loves. If he loved me, he would accept me like I am. What, still running around with diapers and having food all over your face? I mean, that's one of the things about kids. Is like, it's, it's like, you don't see it in adults so much, but when they eat food, then they get done eating, there's food on their face, and they just, they just go about their day. I, I don't like sticky. I don't like kids with food on their face. I mean, I, when I take my kids, they get done eating, and they, 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 they know this, and now the grandchildren have to go through it. Instead of like taking a napkin and washing their face, I'd pick them up and put them up by the sink, turn the water on, just, just basically just wash their face like this. And they, it's like because, oh, there's food everywhere. It's in their hair and stuff. Just almost like give them a shower, wipe them off the towel, go play. But that's the way we are with God. It's like, and if he loves you, he's going to clean you up. 
He's not going to say, well, you're fine with a dirty diaper. You're fine with food on your face. You're fine acting like a two-year-old when you're 15. He, if he loves you, he's going to discipline you. And he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. In verse 7, so endure hardship as discipline. When you face discipline, endure it. If it's a hardship, endure it like God is disciplining. I mean, that, that's a key verse right there. I'm having a hard time. Right now, I, I, like I said, I'm struggling in my thinking with just all the things going on in the world and what I'm going to do with you know, finances, with ministry, with old age. You know, I'm not old, but I mean, you're, you're going this like, and I'm looking at the next 20 years. It's like, oh, what am I going to do? Well, first of all, you're looking at hard, endure it as discipline. God is treating you like a son. Now, what are you going to do? It's like, I don't know how to handle this. It's like, okay, keep your eye on the goal, and God is going to help me overcome all these things, especially immature. I consider myself immature right now as I look at situations in the world. It's like, I don't know what to do. I consider myself lacking wisdom. It's like, I don't know what to do. I, I can identify, here's the problem. So it's like, I feel so incompetent. It's like, uh, what do I do? I, I'm just going to keep looking at the father who's going to use all and those certain things well i'm going to study the bible right good you're going to read the playbook but what we're going to actually do is put you out there in the game in the game i just want to read the playbook no 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 uh we're going to have to apply the thing. I, I i've never played quarterback before well you're here yeah here's the play go out and run it's like i, I know i could draw it on i can draw it here but i, I can't do it in the game and there's the crowd. Everybody, you're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Here goes Weimers into the game. It's like, he looks scared. He's got to make a decision in life. Oh, I wish I was back in the Bible classroom just talking about it. But Weimers, he fumbles the ball. The coach is pulling him aside. What's he saying? It looks like he's pretty heated there on the sidelines. <laughs> he's sending him back into the game. It's like, oh. I mean, that's, I mean, that's what it's like. It's like one thing to say, I've got this figured out. But another thing to say, okay, we're, we're going to put you in the game. And endure this as, as this, is, this hardship as discipline. Because you've got to get in the game and fumble the ball, pick it up, try it again. Because you, you understand, the goal is not to win this game, you know, in, in life. You know, it's like you, you want to live successfully, but you're being, con the ideal here is all about being conformed, is changing. Okay, into the image of Christ. Endure hardships as discipline. God is treating you as sons. If you're facing hardships, you're being treated like sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? I mean, that, that, that is a rhetorical question. In the scheme of life, who is a son that has a father who doesn't discipline him? Well, if you've got a son, you've got a father. If you've got a father with a son, the father's disciplining. That's like natural. So if you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. There's only one way you're going to get through life without being disciplined by God, and that would be if you're not his son. And that would be right there where it's like, he just lets you go. It's like there's no, you, no everything just works out. You live corrupt, you're imperfect, your sin nature rules you, you're immature, you're lacking wisdom. You just hide, your, you mock God, and God goes, and, and the, everything just seems to fall in place for you. But that's not, you're not going to be disciplined. You're going to be judged in eternity. And so there, there's that. It doesn't say that directly, but I'm implicitly bringing that out of there. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. 
how much more should we now you understand they're skipping the whole concept there yes but there are fathers who are abusive right but we're not talking about that we're using this as an example every example every parable that jesus used every example of the bible because we live in a in a imperfect world with sin and a sin nature in people every it's like well there's pastors out there that aren't good pastors so we should get rid of all pastors that's a good point i know some women who aren't faithful to their husbands so we should just get rid of all marriage yeah, that's a good point yeah i know some kids that grow up and be criminals i do too so we should kill all the kids it's like okay that, that, that's 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 so elementary it's like a father is supposed to discipline and take care of care of his his son now if you can find a father who's abusive it's like well or, or here's a clear as the client. Now, all those may be ridiculous examples. <clears throat> but the government, the biblical government, is responsible to have law and order, and if someone commits a capital crime, to face capital punishment, the death penalty. It's that way in the Old Testament. It was that way when Jesus taught. Jesus even said, he even referred to it. What, 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 am I, what have I done that, you, that you're going to cause this, that you're going to kill me? Paul said himself, he says, if I have done anything that deserves death, I do not refuse to die. Meaning if, if, if I have committed a capital crime, then I have no grounds. And he was a lawyer. He was a, a rabbi, uh, a, a teacher. He was qualified as a legal lawyer in the Jewish world. And he could cross over and speak in the, in the Roman courts. And he made, he made the statement. If I've done something that deserves death, then I do not refuse to die, but I haven't. I have the, so you know, so it was Paul, Jesus, the Old Testament, even the book in Romans. There's nowhere in there the government, it, once they were given that responsibility in the book of Genesis, that the government is able to say, we're not going to follow through on this. We're not going to enforce capital punishment because we might make a mistake. Oh, right. And that's why I let my kids run wild. Because if I ever intervened in disciplining them, I might have made a mistake. I may have misjudged a situation. So I tell you what, so I don't get accused of saying something I shouldn't or, or, or misjudging a situation. Kids, just do what you want. I don't want to be that guy that's accused of saying something wrong to the children. The government. Since we don't want to punish someone unjustly, we're not we're going to get rid of capital punishment no you're responsible for capital punishment and you better figure out a way of dealing with criminals who've committed capital crimes to make this happen and do it correctly now if you make a mistake you can't just throw the whole thing out you've got to make a correction and continue to provide law and order in the land just like i've got to provide law and order in my house as a father so keep that in mind when it talks about fathers, moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. And again, we're bypassing the whole concept. Well, some people are abusive. In our culture, anyone who shows any kind of leadership is even, even uh, little boys who show signs of being masculine, who show signs of being little boys. It's like, oh, we got to get rid of that. It's like, well, they're, 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 they're little boys growing into men. Yeah, but they're showing signs of aggression. It's like, right, because they're little boys. It's like, no, 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 we, don't, we want you to be very passive. Oh, my gosh, you are in so much trouble 
in the next generation. When all you've, you've taken all of that, it's tox, the phrase, toxic masculinity. It's like, okay, it's only toxic to those who don't like masculinity. But you need masculinity. But now we want the women to be masculine and the men to be, don't be toxic. I mean, it, I mean it's, we're, we're flipping, I mean, it's, it's chaos. We are in, we have deconstructed, we don't even understand how much damage, damage we've done. We're getting to the place where we're going to have to call on masculinity and it, it's not going to be there. You can't, tr- you can't, you can't train masculinity uh, by just pushing a button or downloading an app. Okay, how much more should we submit to our Father of the Spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. I think that's a disclaimer in there right there. As they thought best. They, they did it out of love what they thought was best. And you can look back and well, that wasn't the right thing to do. It's like they were doing the best they could. All of us are doing the best we can, especially with the things we love. But God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. In other words, God's not going to fail. Why? Is he, why is God going to discipline us? So we may share in his holiness. Holiness, that doesn't sound like a lot of fun. I want to go to hell where all my friends are, where the party's at. I don't want to go to holiness. It's like, okay, whoa, whoa. You have such a twisted concept of reality. Holiness can be defined as, yeah, it's God's likeness. It's set apart. It's, it is doing things the way they were designed, created, intended to be. God has, is the creator. This is the way things were designed. This is the way they work. This is the way they fit. So when you do these things the way God intended, it is holy. It is fit together. Yes, it's separated. It's separated for reality. It's separated from the cosmos of the world, and it's separated to God. So we are searching in our lives, the, our whole lives, even if you're a pagan, you're searching for holiness how does this marriage thing work how do finances work how do i get an education how do i partake of our environment to use the environment without destroying the environment when jesus comes back and sets up the kingdom he's gonna he's gonna increase the productivity of the earth he's not gonna just go green in fact if you read, again, I'd have to go through the verses, but it appears the sunlight is going to increase, the temperatures are going to increase, and productivity is going to go ramp. It's like he's going to increase global warming. He's going to increase productivity. Why? Because he's going to be doing it holy. He's going to be doing it the way, the book of Hebrews even begins that way. We're waiting for the man to come, the man, Jesus, to come and show us what it is to be a man in this world and to use this environment. And that's, that's what we're waiting for. And, and so holiness is not just, oh, just being holy and separated and hiding in a little cave somewhere burning candles. It's going out and engaging your whole world in the manner that God intended it. So you can become holy today. And one way, we, a lot of times, holiness is not being sinful. Holiness is not being immature. Holiness is not lacking in wisdom. So as you leave this area here, you're becoming holy, if that makes sense. So it says, and that makes sense right here. Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. The author admits it. It's like we're all struggling with this. None of us wants to go through this routine. It doesn't seem pleasant, but painful. Wow. So that means all these things, correcting all these things, it's just painful. 
That's, the author says the same thing. This author said the discipline he's received, and he has, it's been painful. I didn't want to change. I had to grow up. It seems painful at the time, but or, or, uh, later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Not only holiness, but now righteousness in your behavior and peace. Meaning peace, again, that idea of shalom, being in harmony with everything. You're just, you, you, you've got peace, not turmoil. Everything now fits. We've achieved peace. Uh, well, and watch this, another disclaimer. For those who have accepted Jesus Christ, now, for those who are Christians, for those who are involved in a small group study at church, no, for those who have been trained by it, you can be a believer in Christ, you can go to church, you can be in a men's group, you can do all these things, but if you have not been trained by the Father and you just want to be accepted as you are, you will not have peace, you will not have righteousness, and you will not partake of the holiness of God because you're still an infant. I mean, this, it, the things that you want, you're going to have to be trained by the Father. And that, I mean, that's, that's, that's radical. Okay, so then verse 12. Therefore, because that's true, and this, is, this, this doesn't sound like a rebuke, but it is. Strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. In other words, stop being such babies. You've all got, well, my knees are weak. My arms are weak. I just can't make it. I, shut up. Strengthen. If your arms are weak, make them stronger. My knees hurt. Well, then do something about it. You've got to make, you've got to run this race. It's like the coach going ahead. Well, coach, they're hard. They're hitting harder than we are. We, it's like, then hit them back harder. Get out there on the field and play ball. It's like, oh, well, yeah. I mean, right here, there's no excuses. You've got, oh, your knees are weak. Well, make them strong. Oh, your arms? Well, then you better start lifting weights because we got a game to play. I mean, it reads so nice as the Bible verse. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled but rather healed. Oh, yes. All of us strong people need to go out there and make the roads straight and make everything handicap accessible. Make straight paths for the weak. If you're a politician, yeah, that's what we want to do. That's right. That's, that's, that's a good thing to do as a society. But he's talking about you. You are the lame. You are, you know, well, we're lame. We, we're imperfect. We got to sin. I'm having trouble with sin. I don't understand. It's like, well, get out there and make the, here. You can't make it? Make the road straight. Start being transformed, and you'll find the roads are straight. You'll find that you're strong. You'll find that you'll be able to make the journey. No excuses here. That's, there, no excuses. He just told you. You've got all these, all these examples in the Old Testament. Jesus is the pioneer. Now, I know some things are tough, but understand all those difficult things are God training you so you can partake of the holiness. And then you'll be righteous and you'll partake of the peace of God because you'll have matured. He's training you. Well, you just don't understand. It's too hard. It's like right here he goes, he just shuts it down. You've got one choice grow up and that's where we're at okay we got notes now i was just reading through the chapter my gosh here's the good stuff maybe not these are just the notes okay here we go let's see if i can make some sense of this uh these are some of the things i tried to point out as i was going through uh the 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 on the notes are english 
ESV, English Standard Version, uh, chapter 12, verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Notice right there, he despised the shame, and he's seated. He knew he was going to the throne of God, so this cross thing, oh, look, he's, it's embarrassing to see him dying on the cross. Look, he's hanging on the cross. A public example, it's like, look where I'm going. You'll see, he even told the priests they're trying to intimidate him. You're going to see the Son of Man coming in clouds of glory. It's like, boo, you scared me. It's like, you are going to be scared when you see me coming in clouds of glory. We've got the power to crucify you. We've got the power. To, it's like, you better listen to us. Okay, let me say it this way. <laughs> You're going to see the Son of Man coming in clouds of glory. And you know who's going to be scared? You. But go ahead, you were saying something. I mean, that, that's what Jesus is scorning the shame. It's like, we're going to put you on a cross. <laughs> I'm coming back in clouds of glory, and I'll put you in hell. Okay, uh, let us fix our eyes is literally let us look away too. And that's where that word, we can see the word, I've got it, I don't have it in the square. It's the very first word of, of the Greek. Aphronites, aphronites, aunties, aunties, aphronites. It means to look away from one thing and concentrate on another to look away from. So like I said, you're looking at this. It doesn't just mean look to Jesus. It means you're looking here. Your problem is you're studying this study this and i'm talking to myself right here i'm studying society i'm studying the market i'm studying i see these problems like oh my gosh what stop what's going to get hard yeah it's going to get hard consider it discipline it gets hard it was hard for daniel it was hard for jeremiah it's hard for noah it's hard for moses real hard for abel it's like it was hard for jesus so what are you gonna do i don't know I'll tell you what you're going to do. You're going to stop looking at how hard it is. And if it is hard, it's discipline. God is training you. Now look to Jesus and run the race. And whatever you can't do in the race, God is training you to help you run the race. Because he marked it out for you. Well, that's not the race I want to run. Or, or no. You don't get to choose where you're born, when you're born, what race you are, what gender you are, how smart you are. That's your package. And you don't get to choose the race you're running. But you can go to the author of all of it and say, help me. And he says, that's what I've been trying to do. That's Thank you for coming. Uh, an athlete gets rid of everything that hinders his performance. He looks away from it and looks only to the things that can help him achieve his goal. And again, I'm more impressed all the time with professional athletes, especially, well, all of them, but especially those that are the elite, and you find out how hard they work. You know, some people have just skill, but some people take it and have longevity in a professional sport. Your discipline has to be, it's wicked hard. I mean, they're so intense to maintain that level. You're playing against the best of the best every day, and, and, uh, and that's what it's saying right here. It's like you, you don't have time. You've got to take to be successful as a Christian, you're going to do the same thing. You're going to have to make a commitment to this race and realize uh, you're not just playing professional athletes. You're playing the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms are trying to take you down. Yeah. The rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms are trying to take you down and get you discouraged. And then you're going to go to a church that doesn't teach the word of God, but they just have good fellowship and music. It's like, I mean, you're, you're, you're already lost. You're, you're done. You're going to get crushed. You don't even know who's crushing you. They're crushing you in your church service with stupidity. Uh, Fourth Maccabee 17.9 says this, uh, just using this idea here, it says just the verse, an aged priest and an aged woman and seven sons lie buried through the violence of a tyrant who wished to destroy the Hebrew race. 
they verily vindicated our nation, keeping their eyes fixed on God and enduring torments even to death. So that, that, that's, not the, that's not what the author uses, but that is a book that was written about the time period right before they were writing this. And they did that very well. It says, look, look away or keep your eyes on it. They are, in the book of Maccabees that they would have been familiar with, identifies a group of people that did that very thing. They kept their eye on that target. Uh, Jesus, uh, the author and perfecter of our faith, author is pioneer, trailblazer, leader, author, uh, finisher. He's also known to finished it. Uh, Jesus is a closer example of running this race than the Maccabees were. And then I just write down point F and G. That's where Jesus was the spiritual rock that accompanied them in the wilderness. He led them through the wilderness. Uh, he delivered the people out of Egypt. These are just all the examples of Jesus being, he, not just now that he went to the cross and ascended into heaven, but has always been out in front of his people leading them, even into the promised land. And I got in the box, if you look back to page one, I've got in the box, I got the word anti, uh, A-N-T-I, if it transliterated, anti. And that's what point three is. The joy set before him uh, was not just his joy, but the joy made available to believers. Uh, for the joy set before him is literally in view of the joy set before him. It's the word anti, A-N-T-I. It can be translated two ways, point A1 and A2. Anti, in view of, it can be translated instead of or in place of the joy set before him. That would mean Jesus accepted the cross instead of uh, the joy of eternity without coming to the earth or the joy of the sinful world like moses uh, considered the suffering with christ of more value than the sin of egypt and jesus could have done the same thing here anti could be this and for the joy set before him or instead of the joy set before him the world that was saint offered him i'll give you the kingdoms of the world but instead of the joy set before him i'm going to the cross so that that could be one way of understanding that word uh, anti. Another one would be for the sake of, and that would be the other idea. The, the cross was the doorway to a greater joy. It, it could go either way. He's being offered the world, but instead he's going to the cross, or he's going to the cross because he knows what's coming. And anti can go either way, instead of or for the sake of. And for the sake of would mean uh, the joy for him for eternity, for the followers for eternity, and both in time and eternity. I've got some verses written down there. Uh, John 15, John 17, John uh, 15, 16, 17, talking about us having that same joy. Chapter 12, verse 3. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In other words, look what he had to do, and you're having trouble. My knees feel weak. My arms aren't strong enough. I can't make it. Jesus went to the cross because of the joy, either the joy he saw on the earth that said, I don't want this, I want something better, or he saw something better and went to the cross. You are looking at the same thing. He's your example. Yeah, but I've got all this I could lose. It's like, run the race and lose it. Or, I've got all this to gain. So, run the race and win it. It's either way you look at it. You're supposed to do the same thing. Don't grow weary or faint-hearted. Now, chapter 12, verse 4. In your struggle against sin... Again, that could be your personal sin or just the sin of giving up. In context, it seems to be your struggle against sin. I just want to sit down. I'm so weak. I don't feel like going. I don't understand it. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted the point of shedding your blood. In other words, uh, the, the battle's raging, and you're, you're not even injured yet. You think you're weak. And that idea of, of shedding your blood, uh, 
the literal reading in point one on page three, not yet until blood you resisted against sin struggling against, is the word-for-word translation. And you can see that above. Not yet unto blood have you resisted against sin struggling. Okay, well, I'm resisting it. Yeah, well, you've got a long ways to go because you're not even mortally wounded yet. Well, my arms are tired. My knees are weak. Uh, You may have to die in this race. And the word means until blood. It was used by Helidorus to refer to mortal combat, meaning you're you're in this race, and this is not just a cross-country race. This is a race where uh, you may die in this race. Well, I just feel tired. I don't know what to do. It's like, uh, you're not, this is going to get a lot more serious. The race is still going on right now, and you haven't even started to bleed yet. You haven't even received a wound yet. And that could be a mortal combat in, in battle, or it could be referring to martyrdom again it would be more of an an implicit than explicit statement about martyrdom this is a familiar phrase for engaging in a conflict which involves the risk of wounds in other words you are not you're giving up and you haven't even got so far in the battle that you've been wounded you haven't even seen an arrow shot at you yet yeah but it's difficult it's going to get a lot worse get out there and get going it is not a phrase explicitly stating martyrdom but a dangerous combat Okay, chapter 12, verse 5. And now he goes to uh, um, Proverbs, and he, and he begins quoting this out of Proverbs, eventually, uh, next verse, Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. Uh, and you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. If you're talking this way, you forgot what Solomon told you in Proverbs. He told you, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be, nor be weary when he reproved uh when you are reproved by him the two words i've got in the box the first word is discipline and i've got that piadeus uh it means discipline it means instructive discipline not just the beating but instructive discipline in judaism a father was required to provide proper instruction for a child that was the law you have a son you train the son this instruction included whipping with a light stick as acceptable. I'm not advocating this. I'm telling you what the word means, okay? It meant it not just, well, a good lecture or a good demonstration. It means it could involve a whipping with a light stick. Not a beating, but some kind of pain that would encourage you to stay on the track. Imagine coaches, as they're running by in the cross-country race, having little sticks to hit their kids with if they're not running fast enough. I mean, for example, I'm not encouraging that. I'm just saying that's the image. I'm sorry, but that's the image right here. Uh, forget about uh, you know parents abusing children. We're not going to talk about that. I'm talking right here. The word discipline means instructive discipline but could also include some kind of physical motivation. Now, that opens the door to God providing some kind of physical motivation for you to stay on the race. Oh, would God ever do that? Well, look at this five cycles of discipline. If you don't do it right, I'll cut off your water supply. If you don't do it right, you're going to lose your crop. If you don't do it right, I'm going to bring in a foreign enemy and they're going to occupy your land and you'll be ruled by those who hate you. Will you now get back on the course and run? You won't. We'll go to level four. I mean, God gives, he gives levels of this discipline. It starts off and finally, if you won't, he'll overthrow the nation. Now with Israel, he'll overthrow the nation with the promise, I've got to bring you back because I've got a covenant with Abraham. 
But with the United States, when he overthrows us, you have no covenant. Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. Not in an emotional sense. Jacob, I've got an eternal covenant with him. I made a covenant of love. The word love means covenant. Esau, no. No covenant. So when I overthrow Israel, I'll always go get them and bring them back. I've got to fulfill my covenant. When I overthrow Esau, Edomites, there's no covenant there. Once they're gone, they're gone. America falls in that category. We did not replace Israel. We can help Israel, but we didn't replace Israel. Um, the word discipline underneath there, it, it's uh, piety. The next word, uh, the Lord, nor faint by him being reproved. Uh, let me read this again. Nor be weary when reproved by him. Uh, so you see they're running a race, they're getting weary. A lot of times it's because God is disciplining you to get back and learn. Uh, that word means rebuke. It means to reprove, to rebuke, to reproach, to state that someone has done wrong. When God, just, when God says, no, that's not right. He has that opportunity. He has that option. He has that responsibility. No, that is the wrong way to do it and will reprove you. Uh, verse 12, chapter 12, verse 6. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. He's going to do this very thing if he loves you. Well, God loves me. God loves me. Okay, well, put this on your bumper sticker. The Lord loves me. So he disciplines and rebukes me. Well, uh, well he's not going to rebuke me. Well, then take off the bumper sticker. He doesn't love you either. If the Lord loves you, if your dad loves you, he's going to correct you when you say something stupid, do something stupid, or you do something immoral. Your father's going to correct you. Why? Because he hates you? Because he loves If he doesn't love you, for example, you see a kid somewhere and you don't know the kid and you see him doing something wrong, you just walk the other way. But you see if I see my grandson doing something wrong, whoa, 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 we're going to stop this right now. Why? Because I, I love this kid. I care about this kid. The random kid down in the grocery store aisle, kid's throwing a fit, doing something. It's like, I just go down this aisle later. <laughs> I'll go down to a different aisle. Why didn't you intervene? I don't even know the kid, let alone love the kid, plus <laughs> all the legal ramifications. <laughs> I'll just go down a different aisle. But if it's my, my grandson, I'm going to somehow get involved in that situation, especially if his parents aren't there. And I'm, why? Because you, well, you hate, no, the, the, the kid I ignored, I hate. The kid I intervene with, that's the kid I love. And so the Lord is going to discipline those he loves. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. This word encouragement, uh, it knows right there, uh, the word encouragement comes from Proverbs 3. The proverb uh, gives the reader the correct perspective. Uh, oh, it means, yeah, he scourges. Yeah, there it is right there, scourges. Mastagoy. Uh, 12.6, punishes or scourge. It means to beat with a whip to scourge. It doesn't mean to hit lightly with a stick. It means to scourge with a whip. I, that's what the word means. If he accepts you, he's going he's to rebuke you. That's wrong. He's going to strike you with a whip or a, a, a small stick. Or now he's scourging you with a whip. That's Proverbs, and you're being encouraged. Hey, this is good news because... He's converted because you're down here in some very dangerous territory. You're going to get sucked into destruction. You're going to be destroyed by those who hate you. The Lord is going to go through a series of discipline to try and bring you back so you can share in reality, so you can share in his holiness. Now, we're not talking about being abusive. You see right here? See, you can't even, like I said, I can't even teach this in the Western world. It's like, well, you're encouraging beating children with whips. 
I'm telling you, the Father loves you, that he's going to take you through a series of discipline and rebukes to save you from eternal damnation and self-destruction that you're inflicted with the sin nature. He's going to do everything he can to convince you to come up here to holiness where you can have peace, righteousness, and completeness in all of eternity. Well, I don't think that's right. Okay, forget it. You're too stupid to hear the word of God. Perish. I'm done. I mean, that's where we're at. It's like, I, I can't accept that. Yeah, go to hell. I don't care. I'm teaching. I mean, that's where we're at. That's where we're at in the Western world. It's like, you're going to have to understand this. And we're not talking about beating children. We're talking about the love of God and what he's going to do. He, how far will God go to save you from eternal damnation and self-destruction? He will become a man, run this race himself, go to the cross to pay for the sins of the whole world and consider it a good idea. And say, I don't even, that, I'll scorn the shame of that because of the joy that I'm, I'm avoiding the joy of the sinful world, but I'm also setting before you eternal joy. I'll do that. Well, that's going to look bad on your resume. <laughs> You'll see the Son of Man coming in clouds of glory to bring judgment to the world. Then you can read my resume. That's what Jesus would say. And this is, this is intense stuff. These are people, 63, I remind you, 63 AD, Christians in Jerusalem. Again, the date's not absolute, but we're within a few months. In 66 AD, we're 36 months away, they're going to revolt. The culture is so stupid. In 63, 64, 65, 66 AD, that that Jewish culture that crucified Christ in 30 AD... 33, 34, 35 years later, they're going to revolt against the Roman Empire and think they can overthrow the Roman Empire. And God is going to use this, as Jesus says, when they rejected him in 30 AD, he says, there's not going to be one stone left upon another. He says, don't cry for me. They're crying for him on his way to the cross. Women are crying for him. He says, he stopped. He's been beaten. He's been scourged by the Romans. I mean, he passed out. He's almost to the point of death, just bleeding and being beaten. He's carrying cross. He has he collapses. He can't even carry his cross, which is a beam of wood. And the women are crying. Some of them are professional criers. It's just part of their culture. Maybe some of them were emotionally involved with it. I'm not sure, but they're crying. But Jesus stops on the way to the crucifixion and looks at them in Luke. He says, "Don't cry for me. Don't cry for me. Cry for your children." Because the moms say they're 30 years old in 30 AD. They're going to be 30, or 66, uh, 30, 30, 66 years old and 70 years old during the Jewish revolt. And their children, who were, say, 5 in 30 AD, let me do the math now, 35, let's say that's 36 years plus 5, they're going to be, help me out, 30, they're 40, 40 years old, 41 years old they're going to be crucified around the city by the Romans. Josephus writes they had so many bodies were being crucified that they had people standing in line by the crowd, like a circus ride, a fair ride. When that guy died or they broke his leg, threw him in in the ditch, they put another person out to be crucified. They had so many people to crucify. Do not cry for me, cry for your children. If men, he says, if men do this while the tree is green, being Israel's the green tree, it's still alive, God is still in 30 AD trying to save Israel. They're not dead. 
they're in rebellion and he's trying to save them in fact he's sending jesus to the cross to pay for their sins he says if this is what men do while the tree is green under god's protection what will they do when the tree is dry when it's been cut down and thrown out to be burned and god has basically cut the tree down and walked away he says this is happening under god's oversight what will happen when god says i don't care and walks away this is happening with god's discipline he says when god's done disciplining you it's going to get worse don't cry for me cry for your children and that's where we're at it's kind of like well we we don't we don't understand this it's like okay listen i'm sorry if this goes over your head it's going to get it's going to get worse it's going to get worse i'll pray and uh we'll be done father do thank you again for the chance to look into your word we ask that we would consider your leadership your guidance uh even the hardships in life to be things that lead us towards your light that we keep looking towards you that we keep looking away from the sin of the world and the and the joys that are falsely proclaimed joy by the world instead look to you look to your glory look to your holiness and continue to grow towards you we know your spirit is working in us we know your word is true and we just ask father that we would again submit to the father of light and continue to be conformed into your image in jesus name we pray amen thank you for your time